theyeshiva.net. Today we're going to uh, look at Vayishlach, the first mimer of Vayishlach, which is page 47. Of Chavdalit Amad Aleph. Chavdalit, column 1, page 47. Vayishlach Yaakov Malachim Lefana Valesav Achiv. Now the truth is that this discourse, you see Chavdalit Amad Aleph, the column on the bottom, the, the first column closer to the bottom. The truth is that this, uh, this mimer is a very deeply connected to the one that we learned in Taldus, Re'ei Re'ach B'ni Kireach Sadar Shebarachi Hashem. There he discussed Esav getting the brachas, or trying to get the brachas, and then Yaakov taking them. And here, the story continues. After 20 years of Yaakov's separation from his brother, he now comes back, and he wants to reconcile with his brother. And he sends messengers, and he says, I want to... I want to find grace in your eyes and the messengers come back and say your brother is advancing with 400 troops to, to fight Yaakov is frightened, he's afraid Rashi says he's afraid to be killed he's also afraid to kill war is never simple even if you win it's not simple Golda Meir said yeah I mean I think Jews took it to a, an extreme that was unhealthy, but uh, but uh, the the idea is a sensitive one. The idea is that even if you win, you won the war, but it's not simple. It's not. There's a celebration for victory, but there's also sadness that this is what victory means. Because Jews went to the other extreme, because you know we're Jews. That answers it, right? Right. So Yaakov is frightened, and he does three things, right? He splits up the camp in strategy to prepare for war. He prays to Hashem, and he also does what what he got to do. He sends a lavish bribe to his brother to appease him. At the end, of course, we know the confrontation he expected never, never happens. When Esau sees him, he actually unexpectedly, without even the bribe, he hugs him, he kisses him, he falls on his neck, they both cry. And it's a moment of tender, uh, of tender uh, reconciliation between two brothers who have been estranged for so long. That's in the pshat of the story. And then Esau wants to even live together with Yaakov. And Yaakov says, thank you, but no thank you. And they part ways. So the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya here, starts over Yishlach Yaakov Malachim Lofan of Al Esav Achiv, and he says, "Hini Adua, she Yaakov Sharsha who mepchines Shem Ma the Olam Hatikun, v'Sharsha shall Esav who mepchines Olam Atayu." He right away directs it to the spiritual energies of Yaakov and Esav, what they represent. Which, of course, it's not only about the figures, the two brothers. It's it's a timeless. It's a timeless energy that lives on in the world. There's Yaakov today and there's Esav today and as they were always. The source of Yaakov is what we call the name of Mem Hay of the world of Tikkun and the source of Esav is Olam Atayu. So just for, uh, for you know, clarification of terminology, Shem Ma in Kabbalistic literature is very well known. It means the name of 45. What's the name of 45? The name of 45 is basically the name of Hashem. 
when you take Hashem's name, Yud, and you should, if you could remember this, it would be helpful, Yud, K, Vav, K. So this, we write it a Yud and a He and a Vav and a He. But really, when you say it, you have to spell out every word, every letter. Yud, you hear, is, is it's not like how you write it. I just write a Yud. Just the letter. When I say Yud, I have to say Yud. I just said Yud, Vav, Dalet. Yud, He, He is He, Aleph. Vav, Vav is Vav, Vav. And He, again, is He, Aleph. This is called the Milui of Shema Vaya, the fill-in, the filler, which in writing you lose, because in writing you just have a Yud, but when you pronounce it, I cannot say, I could say Ya, I could say Ha, I could say Ve, but if I want to explain, pronounce the letter, I have to say Yud, and He, and then Vav, and then finally the last He. If you put that together, you'll have 45. Yud, Vav, Dalet, will end up to be 20, right? Because Yud, Vav, Dalet is 20. Hey, Aleph will be 6, right? Vav, Vav will be 12. So what do we have? We have 20 and 12 is 32, and 6 would be 38. And then you have the last 6. Sorry, Vav. Vav, Aleph, Vav. Vav, Vav, Aleph, Vav. Right? So you have 13, 6 and 20, so you have 39. And then you have the last days, another 6, so you have Memhe, you have 45. That's called Shema. So this is the classic name of Hashem, Yudke Vavke. If you remember, we learned before that Rivka said to Yaakov, your father wants to bless Yaakov, Yesov, Lifne Hashem. Vavarechecha, Lifne Hashem. And he explained Lifne Hashem means we got to go before Yudke Vavke. So he says, because Yaakov comes from Olam Atikon, Esav comes from Olam Hatoy. Oilam and Oilam literally mean the world of fixing, the world of, uh, of, I would say, of wholesomeness, and Oilam is the world of chaos. Toyu means Ha'aretz Ha'isasoyu, it was chaos. Now, when you look at Esav and Yaakov, you can't compare the two. Yaakov we call the Tzadik, and Esav we call the Rasha. Yaakov is the good boy, and Esav is the rotten apple. But here he says, you have to remember, Ha'ayr is the Toyu him G'daylam the lights of Toyu are enormously powerful. And therefore, they couldn't become manifested in their containers. Not because there was no light, too much light. So these Oiris left their vessels. They cannot be contained by vessels. What happens to these lights? They have no choice but to remain in a state of makif, which means... They, makif, they circumference. They hover over the vessel, but they can't be contained by the vessel. They refuse containment. They can't be nislabish. So they are makif. Makif literally means surrounds. So in spatial terms, it means I can't get into the cups. I remain over the cup, right? I remain a makif. In spiritual terms, of course, he doesn't mean it in spatial terms. He means the concept that it remains in a state that is far, far above what the keli could contain. Which in spiritual terms doesn't mean physically I have too much water to put into a seven-ounce cup. So when I pour the water, it just goes all over the place. What it, what it would Spiritually, you always have to understand things with subtlety. What it would mean is, my keli can't grasp it. That means my consciousness cannot be aware of it. Because if my consciousness is aware of it, then it's not it. <laughs> It will not tailor itself to my state of consciousness. It will always remain far above my consciousness. But it's an energy, and it's very real, so it impacts me. 
Makif impacts you. It just impacts you in a way that you can't fully integrate it and make sense of it and define it and articulate it because it's not easily articulated in Kalim. Kalim is always articulation. Kalim means there's a container, there's a vessel. Oiris and Kalim is the energy and the containment of the energy. Now what happened to the Kalim? Here's the second effect. And the Kalim broke. Why did they break? From the contact with the Oir. The contact with the oil was such that the kalim broke because, again, the vessel was too uh, delicate for such intense light. So when the light comes into the vessel, not only does the vessel not contain it, the vessel can't contain it. The vessel actually smashes and splinters. And all the vessels fell down because they, that's what it means, they broke, they fell. So that's why Esav below, if you look at him, he's a Russia. But if you could see Esav from the source of his source, it doesn't just say Sharsha, 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 you have to go back. You have to go up a few roots, you have to go to the root, like the root of the tree. So the root of the tree is called the Sharsha Hadila. Now the Sharsha is by the trees on the bottom, it's, it's in the earth. I'm saying above, again, conceptually, I mean above in the terms that it's so to speak, closer to his original essence. So you could look at the Shoyrish of the Shoyrish of Esau. In Makifim de Toyo, what's Makifim de Toyo? We now understand what it means. It's the light of Esau, which had to remain Makif, because it departed from the Kali, it's not in the Kali. The Kali broke, but the Oyer left to Makif, it didn't break. The Oyer of Toyo is higher than the Oyer of Tikka, that means the Oyer of Esau. As hard as it sounds, is higher than the Ur of Yaakov. That's why the next Maimi is going to explain why Yaakov wants to give this gift to Esav. Over there, he didn't articulate it so clearly. I mean, I said it in the Shir that the Makif is higher than the Ur Pnimi, which is why Yitzchak is so enamored by Esav. Because he couldn't grasp it. Asaph couldn't grasp his own light. He so couldn't grasp it. It's greater because it wasn't contained. Right. It's, it's makif, it's always greater. The tragedy is, it's not translated in Kalim at all. On the contrary, the Kalim, they're smashed. They're break. They break. Now they have the sparks of those lights, but the sparks of those lights in the Kalim are very absorbed. That was the first level he discussed, the number 10, where it's in Golos. The Toyu is the number 11, the Makif, which is actually the link to Gdusha. That's the Levoyna Zaka of the Ktoiris. And that's why Yitzchak spoke about the smell of his son, the aroma, the Reach. Reach, as he said, is something that is always Makif. It envelops the person. It's not like food that you digest. So what are our Kalim? Like what would it be for us? Because I know they say in Kabbalah, the Kalim are broken. But do we have Kalim which we could contain? Right, so that's what we're going to see here. So Yaakov and, and, and Esau really represent two cosmic, two cosmic forces that play themselves out through history. And those are known as the world of Toyu and the world of Tikkun. So let's, uh, let's understand. I mean, this, was, this theme was mentioned a few times in Sheshes Yamam Teichel Matzis about uh, why we eat food from animals and, and Sameach, why the human is superior and yet also inferior. Animals would do very well without us. In fact, they would appreciate if, if our species was endangered so that their species don't have to be endangered. 
and uh, many of the bot, you know, the, the world of botany, the world of tzemeach, has done very well without uh, without humanity, especially if we want to destroy all their forests, etc. We're not going to get into global warming discussion at the moment, even though it's important. And uh, so, but yeah, we can't live without any of them, right? We can't live without doimim. We can't live without water. We can't live without samech. We can't live without without chai. In one way or another, whether you're a vegetarian, you're not a vegetarian, we need the earth, and we need the produce of the earth, and we can't survive. So he spoke over there at length that it has to do with Tikkun Atoya. That was one area, and a few times that he mentions it. Here he mentions it in terms of Yaakov, Yaakov and Esau. Yaakov and Esau represent two paradigms here. And that is that uh, Kabbalah teaches, it's a very famous doctrine in, in the writings of the Arizo. So, you're just talking about the six days of creation, and Kabbalah is talking about two worlds. There was a world that ultimately is called Olam Hatoyu, the world of chaos. The world of chaos was built, and it got destroyed, and that's why it's called chaos. It's a world of chaos. And the destruction happened not because... There was no energy there. There was divine energy, and the divine energy was too powerful to be married into a vessel. It would be like a genius whose light is so powerful, and the vessels cannot contain the light, and he has a breakdown. It would be like too much electricity, too much voltage that infuses the wire, and the wires cannot contain. And what happens to them? They don't say, oh, let me readjust. They, they melt. They literally melt. And the machine that's attached to them is, I don't know if you're ever lucky it happened to you, right? Computer or tape recorder, whatever. Today they already adjust it, but uh, I remember when it happened to me once. And boom, you hear that, you know, the spark goes off and like, oh, you're excited. But uh, that's it, it's all over. It's done. And the reason is not because there was no electricity, there was too much electricity, and you didn't have the kalim for it. Everything in the world is a marriage between oil and kali, as we spoke numerous times. What do you think? <coughs> what is the question? It's ongoing. <laughs> Constantly dancing. Since you've said that it wasn't a matter of time before in time, but in concept, there's no reason to think that it's not a continuous thing. Right. It's a mistake? Or does it no, obviously it's not a mistake. It's not a mistake. So in fact, in halacha, you have what's called soyser al-manas livnis, in halacha, the only, you're not allowed to demolish on Shabbos. But when is it biblically prohibited to demolish on Shabbos? If the demolishing is with the intent of construction, the rebuilding. is also asr, but it's potem in Spiritually, it means is because the first demolition in history was with the intent of rebuilding. The first demolition of history was what's known as the Shvira Sakelem of Olam Hatayu. Over there, the divine light was so powerful and so intense that the vessels could not contain them. So two things happened. Number one, the vessel smashed and broke because the weight was too heavy. Number two, the vessels crashed with each other because each one had too much light and therefore was not limited and not limiting, like what we learned about the world of Nikudim versus the world of Brudim. For chesed and gvura to coexist, they both have to mitigate themselves. They have to dilute their intensity. Like a husband and a wife, 
if everyone allows their nature to take on its full splendor to an extreme without compromise, there's no way you can coexist. In the world of Toyu, where the light, the energy was so infinite and it senses its infinity, there's no room for anything else. So they crash against each other, what we would call a head-and-head collision, plus they crash in themselves, because the kalim can't contain them. So therefore, huh? it's like a person who has dreams and creative forces and they have nobody to contain it. And sometimes they go crazy in their own mind because there's so much going on. The Rakhachava Gon once said that Shabbos is the hardest day for him in the week. Why? Because he can't write. He can't write. He used to write and write and write and write and write. He said he can't write. He would sometimes write hundreds of letters a day. He can't write on Shabbos, obviously, because it's Shabbos. So what is, he, what is he doing with all of the ideas? He didn't have anybody to say it to. So when he wrote it, the paper is always a good keli, you know. At least the journal understands you. But uh, Rokhachov didn't have somebody to talk to on his level. And therefore, he said it's the hardest day for him because his head was uh, you know, like exploding. You know, you feel your head is exploding. There's so much oil and there's no keli. So in Oilam Atoyu, there was an explosion. There was Shvir Sakem, the Kalim broke. What happened to these Kalim? The Kalim, so to speak, fell. What do we mean fell again? We don't mean physically. They fell down. Fell means you don't recognize who they really are. They don't recognize who they are anymore. When you say you had a Nefila, Nefila doesn't mean you fell down physically. I mean, that's also Nefila. Nefila means you fall down spiritually. You don't recognize who you are. But you're still that same person. The Kalim still have the sparks of that oil, but they don't recognize them anymore. They can't put them in context. So they have the energy, but it's completely manipulated and misused. And the real energy remains makif, remains above. So he says that's Esav. On one level, in terms of morality and ethics, Esav is broken. He's fragmented. He's fragmented from himself. He's broken from himself. On another level, his real oil is higher than Yaakov's oil. But it remains makif because the oil was too heavy, not too little, it was too much. And since it was too much, it, didn't, it, didn't, it doesn't have the kalim. Now this is a very profound idea because sometimes you'll have it in certain people. Right? Sometimes there are artists, artists, who are very, very deep people. And the structures, the structures that we created for them could not contain their light. Not because... They didn't want to fit in. They couldn't fit in and remain true to themselves. Sometimes you can't fit in and remain true to yourself. You can't. So if if you want to sell your soul, you can do that. But some people don't want to sell their soul. So you almost force the light to leave. And what happens to the keli? The keli now from the intensity of the light, the keli becomes very convoluted and sometimes fragmented. But the keli still has those sparks, but those sparks are not recognizable anymore. And the light remains on a level in the person's life which may not even be so conscious. Or it may be conscious, but they're not conscious of what it is. Or it may be, and it's usually driving very deep forces in them, and that's what it's driving is very holy. The driving force, the fuel may be very holy, but the way it's processed, it has no connection with godliness because it's not in Caleb. I cannot translate. I don't even know what it is. So sometimes I'm completely confused myself what it is. But we, we, we don't like to live with cognitive dissonance. We don't like to live with fragmentation. So I make up new stories to explain what my de- idealism is about. Dilute it. Dilute it or I don't dilute it, but I, can may, I create a story, a narrative, that, so it should make sense. So you'll hear people say things 
and it's like it's intense stuff. Yeah, Esav had, had a huge abundant amount of or more than Yaakov Avinu, and that he chose not to really accept it, or is it? He had a normal amount, but since he kept on pushing it out, it became a bigger amount. No, no, his shaydish was different. It's so a different, different asham. It's he had more. He had more. So it was his choice, really. And Yitzchak was yearning for that. to create integration for Esau. But it was yearning. Bechir, it was he who decided to make it a mock because of his actions, because of what he, his mindset, so to speak. Because what? how does one person take as a mock if another person... Would actually no, no, his oil was higher. The oil was higher. So it wasn't possible to be okay. So well, that's going to be did that drive him to That's Yaakov's question now. So Yaakov and Esau are opposites. But really, Yaakov and Esau desperately need each other. So the fact that it was a Makkah made him Esau of Russia? Or he, he could have still been a Tzaddik, but he decided differently? The problem is, you're thinking about this in terms of. Uh, a regular sure. shear. Right. You're asking questions. You understand? You're, yeah. you're trying to fit this into a Shalashudas Taira. It's not. Right. Yeah. It has to sit with you. It's not. Uh, when you say that, don't try to figure everything out. <laughs> yeah. You say Yaakov and Esau need each other. Like you said with Rachel and Leah, with the contrast need each other. Need each other, what? For each one to be able to show the other what he's really all about? Is that what you mean? Number one. Number two, Esau needs Yaakov for integration, for healing, for sublimation. But Yaakov needs Esau for a certain intensity, for a certain depth for a certain sense of infinity that Esau has. Right? And that Esau can give Yaakov. That's why they're two brothers. They're twin brothers. There's a beautiful vart from the Vilna Gon. Rav Kook brings it from the Vilna Gon, even though I didn't see it in the writings of the Vilna Gon. It says in Malachi, we say in the Aftarim of Teldus, Haloi och Esau liyakov. Right? Yaakov is a brother to Esau, and I love Yaakov and I hate Esau. So we just read it, okay. So God makes two brothers, and he hates one and he loves one. What do you say about such a mother, or such a father? It's something is off, like, you hate him, don't make him. What's this? Like, you make someone and you hate him. It's like almost like I have two kids, and I always know from day one, him I like. Him I hate. You have families like that. Yeah. A mother just, anybody, right? They cast their eyes on one child, a boy named It, a boy called It. Huh? There's a whole story about that. But he was called It, right? And the mother's just like, you're, 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 you're the horrible one. And you just play, and it just plays itself out. So the Vilna Gaon says, the S Ace of Sanesi. Not Ace of, S Ace of. The Gemara often discusses that S. Whenever it says S, like Virachat's S Psara Bamayim S, Hatafal Psara. It's a what? It's a reward. Yeah. S includes that which is subservient. So you should bathe, you should put into the mikveh your flesh. S Psara. What about my hair? Can my hair be out of the mikveh? No. S Psara. Even that which is subservient to my flesh also has to go into the water. Kabid S Avicha, the Rabbi but even the derivative of my father. Which is my older brother? It's not my father. S, right? S Hashemayim Vesar. It's Rashi says, not heaven and earth, even that which is connected to heaven, the galaxies, the stars. S Aaret, that which is connected to earth. S is the Tafel. So he says, 
S Aesov. So this Aesov has two dimensions. There's Aesov in his core, and then there's the Tuffel to Aesov. There's what Aesov grows into. He says, the S of Aesov I despise. By Yaakov, the Chiddush is that even the S is part of him. By Aesov, there's a fragmentation between the two. So the S Aesov Sanesi. So therefore, in the world of Toyu, the light is very, very powerful. So sometimes you'll have it in a person. You'll have, generally, it's, it's true with young people versus older people. But Rebbe writes somewhere that young, older people are more miyushiv. Younger people are very idealistic. Right? There's an old joke that uh, a conservative is a liberal who was mugged many times. You know, in the 1960s, America was... was you know, the youth revolu- were revolutionizing America. You know, anti-war and free intimacy and, and uninhibition. Anti, a, uh, anti-establishment. Anti-establishment. So on one level, you looked at it and you said, here are young chutzpinyaks who just want to destroy society and, and their fathers would say, just go graduate high school and stay off drugs for 10 years and, and get your doctorate. Get your doctorate. So it was one year Purim, uh, uh, the year of Woodstock, it was what, the 1969... Yes. So I think the next Purim, or that Purim, so Lubavitch Rebbe, his Purim Fabrengen, was analyzing the situation. So he said that the parents don't realize that really they're searching for infinity in life, for meaning in life. And they're asking their father, why, what, why do you do what you do? And the only reason the father gives is because if you graduate, he said, and you graduate, you'll be able to buy a house, you'll be able to have a three-car uh, a three a three car garage. Then it was a Cadillac. You'll be able to have a Cadillac. You'll have a Hollywood kitchen, a wall to wall carpet. You'll be able to retire in dignity, and you'll be able to be an honoree at a dinner. And he <laughs> says, and for their soul, that means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. So you could look at them and say they're destroying everything, including themselves, and that may be true. Sometimes people do that, but if you just say that, you miss the point. <laughs> You missed the point, and that is, there's an oil that you're not containing. Your your structure has nothing to say for this light. Absolutely nothing to say for this light. And this is true also in Yiddishkeit, Lahavdil today, for example. Sometimes a father and a son will have a discussion in front of a rabbi or a therapist or whoever, and the son will turn to the father and say, what motivates you? Why do you wake up 6 o'clock in the morning? Why do you learn Daf Yaimi? Why do you don't miss a minchin? What motivates you? I want to know. I mean, I've, I've seen this uh, intimately. What motivates you? And the father looks, first of all, he thinks his son is crazy. Who asks such stupid questions? Mm-hmm. But finally, what motivates you? What What gets you out of bed? I want to know. I, you're telling me to get out of bed. I shouldn't sleep till 3 o'clock in the afternoon, right? Which was a good thing not to sleep till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But what motivates you? And the f- answer the father will give may be a zoi. This is the Messiah. What do you mean? This is this is this is this, this is the tradition. Or sometimes he'll say, I want to have Elam Haba. Right? And, and 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 the son looks and he he doesn't argue. It's just like I don't know what this guy is about. Like your life is not my life. And what happens here is they don't understand each other. Because What's the issue? The issue is, what's the structure you're creating to house my light, to house my energy? So you're telling me I should be afraid of a future world where there is punishment that I don't see and I don't know about. So first of all, 
he may not understand what that is or may not even know that it is, may not believe. But maybe even if he does, he may be saying something much more, and that is, is that all there is? That's resonating. Why doesn't it resonate? Maybe he needs a much deeper relationship. What if he feels an urge in himself to change the world? What if he feels a deep urge in himself to make a real difference? What if he has to be challenged to be as creative as possible and he doesn't see in the construct here an ability for his infinite creativity? So what happens now? So often the kalim smash, they break. There's no kalim anymore. There's no structure. And the oil is there, but it departs. And the person can't live with the oil in an integrated way because they don't have kalim for it. So this is a very difficult and painful situation. How come it's structure for the father? I can't answer that question. He's been for so long. It's, it's right in it. I can't answer that question. Maybe the Moshe Zev wants to answer that question. Culture. Doctor, now what happens is that sometimes these kids become fathers and zaydas, and then when their kids come to them, they look at them like they're crazy, even though they did the same thing to their parents. That's another situation. So therefore, you have your Amaisa that Yaakov is uh, is now going to meet up with Esav. Now Yaakov and Esav parted ways, and after twenty years, Yaakov asks himself. Can now can I come back to Esau? That's the plot here. Now, this also highlights a whole other, it brings us into a whole other point that I want to mention, and that is, you all know the Rashi and Vayetze say that Leah used to cry a lot. Ene Leah Rakas. Why? Because everybody said that she's going to marry Esau, and uh, Rachel is going to marry Yaakov. So Leah used to cry. And because she used to cry, her eyes became weak. And the question is, they used to say, they used to say, it's called mikvanayas. So people in the mikveh used to say, I have a shidduch for Leia. People met Leia and they, people do it always. They meet somebody and say, oh, I have a shidduch for you. It's usually not a nice thing to do if you don't mean with, especially the other people. But uh, fine, that's what people do. Yentis or male yentis or female yentis. It's a Jewish thing to do. I have a shidduch for you. So they said, there's a Gemara, you only marry a woman to who she wants to marry. What's Leah worried about? There's that Leah understood something very deep. And that is, he said the Maimed, the Eireyachbni wasn't told us, and here's Vayishlach. Leah and Esau had a very deep kinship. They both understood and had a relationship with Makif in a very profound way. Because Leia, as we learned, really had this similarity. Leia's light was much higher than Rachel's light. Much higher. In fact, it says, Ves Esav Sanesi, God says, I hate Esav. And on Leia, it says exactly the same words. Vayar Hashem Kisnua Leia. She's Kisnua Leia. So one second, Esav is hated and Leia is hated. Exactly. We hate what we don't understand, as he said in the Maim of Tovkufay and Bez. We don't understand Leah, we hate her. She's not familiar, she's not my familiar wife. She's not the wife that fits into my pocket. She's not the wife that I was supposed to marry. She's not the wife of the resume, right? She's a different wife. Esav, I also hate. Esav, I also don't understand. Esav also challenges me. Esav also doesn't fit into my box. And Esav is also rebellious. And Esav also defies all systems. So who could actually understand Esav? 
Leia can understand Esav. So when they were saying that Leia is a shidduch for Esav, it wasn't stupidity, it was profound ideas. To put it in, to put it in the Isis of the Maimer, Leia understood Makif. She understood energy that is not integrated. She understood subconscious energy. She understood that it would be Makif. Makif, by definition, the person doesn't understand. Right. The word, I shouldn't say understands, Leia had to make peace with it. Leia had to learn to live with it. That was Leia's greatness. That was Leia's greatness. Where did Leia and Esav go apart? They went apart particularly in this issue. Leia did not break. On the contrary, Leia's makif became a source of very deep wholesomeness on a different level of Alma Discassia. But in a way, Leia and Esav have a very deep common denominator. Because their deep common denominator is that Esav's makif could be experienced and understood only by somebody who understands Makif, not by somebody who doesn't understand Makif. So in, in, a, in an ideal world, Leia and Esav would have been a very good Shidduch, just like Yaakov and Rachel would have been a very good Shidduch. Because Rachel is Almadiz Galia, Rachel is Yifas Tari, Yifas Mara, Yifas Tari, Yifas Mara is the world of Tikkun. Tikkun, the Ur and the Keli, are married in a perfect marriage. The energy and the vessel complement each other. The energy is more limited... But the vessel facilitates the energy. Of course, it didn't work out that way because Esav went in a different direction. And Leia went in a different direction. And ultimately, Leia has a whole different path than Esav, ultimately. We don't say, we say Esav Lamata is a Russia. Leia Lamata was a Tzadikist. She was not like Esav. But you have here the tension of the two, uh, the two dimensions very powerfully. So when he goes off to Rachel and Leia in the next Baima Vayetze, it's not disconnected from the story of Toldus with Yaakov and Esav. It's just a different story. Now, here I'll tell you a word from the Koshnitz Magid and the Svasemes, and it's all the same word, but they, they didn't articulate it. They, they articulate the way they used to articulate it. The Koshnitz Magid, right? Koshnitz Magid has a safe called Avoidus Yisrael. Kodnitz Magid was a contemporary and a colleague of the Balatanya. They were both students of the Magid of Mizrich. Kodnitz Magid passed away two years after him, Tovko Fayin, 1815. And in Kodnitz is a city in Poland. He has a sefer, Avoidus Yisrael, one sefer. He says over there, there's a medrash, it's, not, it's, it's, it's a, actually medrash rabbi in, in Parshish Vayetze. It's also brought in Targum Yonis and Benuzia. That when Leia married Yaakov, and Yaakov was deceived. So it says, Vayarba Boike, in the morning, Yaakov woke up, and he sees Leah, Vihinehi Leah. And he goes running to Lava, and he says, Lamari Misani, why do you deceive me? So what happens is, the question is, did Yaakov say anything to Leah? Or he just went straight to Lava? Pasuk doesn't say he said anything to Leah. But you and I, I think, would guess that he probably said something to Leah when he saw what happened. What did he say? you got to figure it out on your own. Torah Shabbat Sav is full of gaps and it leaves it up to your imagination. And it wants it that way. It wants you to work your imagination. Torah Shabbat Pes sometimes fills in the gap, sometimes not. Here it happens to fill in the gap. So the Medrash Rabbah says, and the Targum Yonis Ben Uziel brings it, so this is a very ancient tradition, that Yaakov actually looked at Leah and he said, as we would say in English, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Your father is a quintessential crook and you're also... Why did you lie to me? Leah, as a good Jewish wife would do, does not remain quiet. She responds. 
And her response is also the response of a real Jewish wife. She says to Yaakov, every trade in the world requires mentorship. You can't become a doctor without a teacher. You can't become even a barber without a teacher. There's no sapper. There's no barber who doesn't have a teacher. To be a liar, you also need a teacher. My father and I had a great mentor. I'm going to tell you about him. There was an old man who couldn't see. He summoned his oldest son to give him the blessings. The younger boy dressed up like the older boy, lied to his father, and said, I am the older brother and stole the blessings. He is the one who taught us how to lie. This is a Medrash Rabbah, Targum Yonis, Medrash Rabbah says it, Medrash Rabbah, Parsha Ayin, says this story. Okay? Now you understand why Yaakov went running to love him. Yeah. So, on one level, this is like a classic Jewish marriage, right? You said, I said, he says something to Leah, Leah says, you want to you wanna go that direction? My mouth is a little better than yours. <laughs> and uh, she gives it to him, and uh, his kishkas turn over, and he learns his lesson. Uh, <coughs> behave. In this house, you're going to behave. Okay, on one level. But on another level, it's incomprehensible. What is, what is Leah saying? I lied to, you, you lied to me in a business deal, and I ask you, why do you lie? So you tell me, because I lied to somebody else. Let's say to my father. One second. So if somebody lied in the world, whenever I deal with them, I'm allowed to lie, because he lied to somebody else. Yaakov asked a good question. Why do you lie? Why do you say you're Rachel? You're not. So Leia said, oh, you lied to your father. It's not a mature response. It's not a worked out. It's not an ethical response. It's more of an anger response. It's like, oh, really? I'm the liar? You're the liar. And I bring up a story from your childhood or from your youth. Well, so anyone in a therapy session, you understand that they're, they're, they're in a certain space. They're not talking to each other. They're not having a conversation with each other. They're in a space. They're in a zone. A zone of anger, a zone of, of, of hate, a zone of fear, whatever it is. There's no communication here. It's just who's going to give a better shtech in Yiddish. You know what a shtech is, yeah? Who's going to give a better stab? That's what it's about. It happens to be, in this case, Leia 1. So the Kajnitz Amagad writes, although this is all, he says this clearly. He says, I'll tell you the pshat. It's very deep, he says. Leia was not running away from the question. She was answering the question. What was the answer to the question? The answer was this. Yaakov said, why did you lie? Why did you say you're wrong? So Leah said, you told your father you're Esau. My Shidduch is Esau. The moment you told your father that you're Esau, automatically you turned me into Roch. Automatically you made me your wife. Svasemes, who lives a hundred years later, second Gera Rebbe, writes, Koshet concealed what he wanted to say. Or the writer didn't hear it right. So Svasemes says, he quotes, says, either he hissed your he didn't say what he wanted to say, or the writer didn't get it. So Svasemes says, I'm going to tell you what he wanted to say. Actually, he says the pshat, and then he says, and maybe this is what he wanted to say, because he concealed what he wanted to say, or the writer didn't get it. What does Hasemus say? Hasemus says, Leah is connected to Esau. Yaakov is connected to Rachel. When Yaakov got dressed up in the garments of Esau, it wasn't just external. He was taking in the soul of Esau. The moment he was taking in the soul of Esau, part of him became Esau. 
For part of him became of that part of him now had to get married to Leah. So Yaakov of Yaakov had to marry Rachel, and the Leah of Yaakov had to marry, and the Esau of Yaakov had to marry Leah. And Svasemis is very short, very brief, very cryptic, very concise, as many of the Hasidic works. Now you read this Kajan Samag, and you read the Svasemis, quite interesting, quite original, quite creative. <laughs> Fascinating explanation to the Medrash. Leah was actually saying something very profound. Yaakov, you're the one who established this entire issue. Destiny created me for Esau, and therefore, when you became Esau, I come. I am your shidduch. But fine. So it's all interesting. But what does it mean? What's the point? So generally, in the world of Hasidus, there were two streams of Hasidus, as we once discussed at length, and that is what's known as uh, the various students of the Mezirchem Magid, who all wrote one or two books at most, and they. Everything were pointers, powerful, mm. inspiring pointers, whether it's about stories of Chumash or about Anashama, about Hashem and a Jew. Balatanya's shitta was that things have to be explained and explained elaborately, which is why he named it Chabad, which is Chachma bin Adas. That's why you see, for example, he himself has around 40 works. Most of his colleagues have one or two. And his Maimara are very long and explained and everything. So when you learn this, these Maimara, and then you read that, you understand here that there's really a profound story being conveyed. Esav belongs to Leah, Leah belongs to Esav, not stamps of mazel. It's because Esav's and Leah's neshamas are deeply connected. In fact, Leah comes from a similar source, a concealed world, a higher world, a sublimate. They're both hated, both cannot be understood. Leah is the Shittich for Esav, not Rachel. You put Rachel with Esav, it's not happening. You put Yaakov with, with, with Leah. What Rivka was telling Yaakov was, it would be awesome, but your brother, your brother's Kalim broke. Your father wants to bring down the Makif, but his Kalim broke. So either the energy of your father, Yitzchak, is going to be swallowed up, or there won't be an Esav anymore. He'll become a, a zombie, a robot. It'll just burn him up. The light will burn him up. There won't be an Esav. So therefore, you have to take the blessings for Esau. So in other words, you have to find your own Esau. If you cannot find your own Esau, you will not be able to take his blessings. You won't be able to help him. And that's why you have to get dressed up like him. It's not a costume. It's not a Psapurim costume. A costume, generally, in this context, is a costume means a way of expressing yourself. To put on the Levushim of Esau means to relate to Esau. It doesn't mean you become Esav completely, but it means there's something in you that's relatable to Esav. I can put on your garments, means I could see things from your perspective. I could put on your glasses, I can, I can wear your shoes, I could put on your pants, I can wear your shirt, I can walk your life somewhat. So in other words, Yaakov has to have a shtikel Esav, he will ultimately have to be mevarer toyu. So if that happens, Leah says, okay... Yaakov, so now you have two wives. The Yaakov in you has Rachel. And the, Le- the Esav in you has Leah. But after 20 years, Yaakov now wonders whether his brother is ready to give, the, to give him over what he was holding on to. It's really his brother's. So let him give it over. So that's the context of this Maimah by Yishlach, that after this whole story, okay, I took it. But now, 
let me tell you where I've been, and let's, uh, let's come back together. I worked very hard for 20 years. What were you doing for 20 years, Esau? That's the question that he poses here. Okay. That's a bit. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.